Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. So it's a game seven. They stand eye to eye with history, and they did not blink. The Heat are going to the NBA Finals. What a win on the road. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Here's your boy Q. And there it was right there, the final call. Miami Heat punching their ticket to the NBA Finals as they travel to Denver to take on the Nuggets. The NBA Finals gets underway tomorrow evening. Joining us now on the phone lines to talk about the Miami Heat is Anthony DiNardo, believe in the Miami Heat podcast. And, Anthony, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Was there ever a doubt when Miami got up 3-0 and then Boston came storming back, winning three straight? Game six was epic the way that ended. Was there ever a doubt in your mind that Miami was going to get it done in game seven? First off, appreciate you having me on, man. Listen, it'd be real easy for me to sit here and say that after that game three, you know, that he dominated them. I was feeling good, but I was reserved because I've been a sports fan a long time. I know anything is possible. But certainly thought they'd close it out soon. They did not. I said the party would get moved two days later, and then they kept losing over and over and over again. That game six, as you can imagine, was an absolute killer. But going into Game 7, I heard everyone doubt in this team. I heard every single member of the national media picking the Boston Celtics. And I know that watching this Heat team long enough, when everybody doubts them, when their backs are put 100% against the wall, that's when they always seem to come through. And sure enough, in Game 7, they did just that. So going into that game, I had a lot of confidence. And as you can imagine, I'm feeling great at the moment. Yeah, I have no doubt about it. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit to you, I thought once it got to Game 7, they were cooked. I really did. I thought that... What's the chances, right? I mean, they, they're in a Game 7. They shouldn't be in a Game 7, but they are. But they went out and blew out Boston in Game 7 in Boston, which was impressive. What was it about the Heat? What was it about Jimmy Butler and the rest of the cast of characters that were able to turn up the Heat in Game 7 to get that victory? Not to use the cliche, man, but this team is just built different. I mean, everybody talks about how this team is made of a bunch of dogs, and Jimmy Butler's a dog, and a lot of times people are like, oh, Heat culture's not real, but... I mean, if you look at the roster, if you look at these teams that are beating, that's exactly how they got this far. When mm-hmm. I saw the Boston Celtics celebrating that Game 6 win like they just won the championship, I almost believe they had no chance going into Game 7. Mm-hmm. They acted like the series was over. They acted like all they had to do was go back home and show up and they'd get the job done because they, quote-unquote, have more talent. But when you have a team like the Miami Heat, a bunch of guys that came from nowhere, we all know about how many undrafted guys they got. All they know is hard work and showing up every night. And that's the reason I had a lot of confidence. And you can see in Game 7, one team just looked like they wanted it more. I don't want to, you know, not talk about the Tatum injury. Obviously, that was early in the game. It might have been a lot closer game uh, if, he, if that had not happened to him. But still, you could visibly see that one team wanted it more. And that's why the Heat were able to get it done. Yeah, I agree with you, and I'll say this. Like I said, I thought Boston was going to win in Game 7 because of just everything they had done, but they did. They looked like they just showed up, and they thought that they were going to just win for showing up, and Miami was like, nah, we're going to win this game, and that's exactly what they did. But you, you mentioned something, Anthony, that stood out to me about guys that, you know, undrafted guys, guys that aren't household names that are stepping up. How does Miami continue to find these guys and develop these guys and fit them in with that heat culture that you mentioned to be able to be complimentary pieces to Jimmy Buckets when they need them the most? Man, I, 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 they never cease to amaze me, man. They find these guys out of nowhere. That goes even back five, seven, or five, six, seven years ago. You got Tyler Johnson out of nowhere. That goes to when they got Derrick Jones Jr., took him out of Phoenix, turned him into a role player. They constantly do this. Can't forget Kendrick Nunn undrafted to second-place rookie of the year. That was just crazy. But really, it's a credit to the front office. It's a credit to the scouting department. They got Adam Simon over there. Obviously, Pat Riley puts a lot of trust in those guys to go find the perfect people that fit heat culture. 
And all the things that I hear, the most important thing that they look at is not talent. It's not how many threes they can make, how fast you can run. It's about the, the mentality. It's about how much heart these guys have. They believe that their development staff is good enough to turn anybody into a great player, but not if you don't have the heart. You know, I don't think that's something that you can teach. I think that's something that you're born with, and that's kind of the trend that they go to when they get all these players like Caleb Morin and Gabe Mintz and guys that hustle yeah. 100% of the time. And then when you get them into this development staff, that's when they turn into great players, and then they can be really, really solid role players on a championship team as we're seeing now. Yeah, you're right about that heart, and they do definitely have that heart. Again, we're talking with Anthony DiNardo, believe in the Miami Heat podcast here on Radio Nation Radio 920. DeMond's got one for you. Yeah, we all know that heat culture, the hardest working, best conditioned, most professional, unselfish, toughest, meanest, and nastiest team in the NBA. I love that slogan. But you did just read a promo? Yeah, it man, it's, the, it's, the, it's like the little heat mantra. That. You know the motto, baby. It's the <laughs> motto for the heat. Come on, man. I'm going to give them some love. But when it comes to Coach Eric Spolstra, how important is he? Because Game 7, I've been saying it all playoffs the lights are too bright for Joe Missoula but how important was coach Spoh's coaching in that game seven well first off going back to that motto you want to look at who embodies that look no further than the end of the bench right now and you've gone as he's a huge part of what they got going on too speaking of coaching because that's obviously a very clear role that he plays at the moment another huge advantage that I think they do have over the Celtics which is just championship experience because there's several champions on this team and that includes Eric Spolstra you can't get a bigger disparity in coaching between Joe Missoula and Eric Spolstra. I mean, Missoula, he's younger than Al Horford, you know. Now, that is something that worries me going into the finals because I actually do think Mike Malone is, you know, one of the more proven coaches. I think he's like the third or fourth most tenured guy in the league. So that is a, not as big as an advantage in the finals as it was last series. But, I mean, you saw every time the Celtics got something cooking, Spolster had another defensive scheme to throw out there, whether it was switching pick and rolls, whether it was going zone, jumping in and out of zone which is one thing just to say, but to have your personnel ready to just jump in and out of defense, that's a huge credit to him the preparation that he gives his team. And he's just a mastermind. I mean, he's been through it all. He went to those three big three teams that sucked, and then he had the superstar team, and then he had a bunch of undrafted guys, and now you kind of got a one guy, uh, a team with one star in Jimmy Butler and a bunch of role players. So he's been, he's been through it all. He's seen it all. And you can see that he is more ready than anybody else in his league right now from a coaching standpoint. What's good? What's going to be the Heat's best option when it comes to defending Nikola Jokic? <laughs> See, I love this question because the easy answer is there's no answer for him. There's nobody in the league that's guarding him. And even Bam specifically has got dominated over the years. But I'm not mad because he's a two-time MVP for a reason. You know, he's dominating everybody. The main thing Spolster likes to do is he typically likes to go with the ideology of locking down the other team's stars, forcing the others to beat you. He does that by throwing very hard double teams at the other player's stars. The problem is, Nikola Jokic, that's exactly what he wants to see. I mean, he has some of the best vision of all time. And obviously that team is littered with snipers. So if you just try to double team him, those guys are going to get open. And if they get hot, we can see a couple blocks in this series. So I think he'll lean more towards just doing isolation defense. That'll obviously put Bam on Jokic 99% of the time. And Jokic will eat. He will cook Bam. He will score 50 if he wants to. But if you can limit the other guys, I don't think Jokic can do it by himself. I think because of the versatile defenders Miami has, like Gabe Vincent, Caleb Marr, and Hayward Heisman, Jimmy Butler, that might allow you to put someone as elite as Jimmy Butler on Jamal Murray, and then you could have someone like Struess even or Duncan Robinson just chase around the perimeter shooters like Pope or Michael Porter. And then with the Heat, it all, it's always someone that's different, that's going to be the number two scorer on any given night. Who do you expect to have a big scoring contribution in this series besides Jimmy Butler? 
Yeah, that's what I love about that quote. Is if you guys didn't hear what Jimmy said after the game, it's truly one of my favorite quotes ever. He said, I don't have role players. I have teammates because the roles are different every single night. And that could not be more true. We are not seeing more of that this series. That's why I've even had people ask, who's the X factor? Mm-hmm. There really is no X factor because you have a different guy every night, whether it was Duncan Robinson hitting five threes, Struce hitting five threes, or Caleb Morris scoring 25-plus points, which we've seen a couple times. We even saw Gabe Vincent have the 29-plus points. So as a Heat fan, I don't think it's going to be one guy that stepped up, kind of what you alluded to. But the goal, the best realistic case scenario, is they get at least two of those guys every game. So if game one is Caleb and Max, maybe next game it's Duncan and uh, Stroops. You know? And if you can get two of those guys every game, and if your stars show up, that's where I think this team has a real chance to win the series. Anthony DiNardo, Believe in the Miami Heat podcast, our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Necessary Roughness, as we're getting you prepared for the NBA Finals that tips off tomorrow evening. And look, Miami just sealed the deal with Boston. That was Monday. That was Game 7. Denver's been sitting at home, chilling, relaxing, uh, maybe getting a little bit rusty. Do you think that that, uh, that time off for Denver's going to hurt them, especially in Game 1? No doubt. Listen, when the Heat lost that Game 4, I wasn't too mad, partly because I was trying to talk myself out of not being mad. I was trying to look at it as, as a positive saying, well, I don't really want a week and a half off, but obviously they ended up getting a lot less time off than I hoped. But I certainly think that would affect Denver. We see that all the time. I mean, if a team mm-hmm. sits over a week, they typically have a very, very bad start to the series, at least in the first game. So I think it will affect them. I think they'll have a bad first quarter, maybe first half, uh, which, will help, uh, which will help the Heat because if they can keep it close, maybe you can have Jimmy Butler take, uh, take you home down the stretch. So I don't think it will affect them long term. If anything, it obviously might affect the Heat just because of the fatigue they went through. But I do look for the Heat to take advantage of a quick start next is there any update on Tyler Hero? Will he be a guy available anytime throughout the course of the finals? Yeah, man. Well, the rumor is game three, right? But okay. the way I look at it is you got this far without him. You know, why would you risk bringing him back? Now, that was the main thing I thought a week ago. I won't lie. I started to change my mind a little bit because Kyle Lowry is no longer a good basketball player. I hate to say he's playing like a 30, 38-year-old out-of-shape point guard, which is what he is. So if Tyler comes back, at least he can take some of those minutes. I think Spolster will want to plug him in just to try it. But if things don't work well, I think Spolster will have a quick trigger just to take him out. But the problem is Tyler would have to take minutes from Duncan and Caleb and Struth. All those guys are basically shooting 50% from three. You know, there's no way Tyler can match that. I kind of hope Spolster just rolls with the other hot players while they're hot. And if things start to cool down, it is nice to have Tyler have some insurance that he could go through. And then when it comes to the front court, Kevin Love, he got a lot of minutes in the Knicks series, but not so much down the stretch in the Boston series. Do you expect to see him on the court early when it comes to the Nuggets? Oh, yeah, they're, they're going to need it. Listen, Kevin Love was pivotal in that Milwaukee Bucks series, the way that he was able to rotate to draw charges and all that stuff, because, of course, the Bucks have phenomenal ball movement. That's not something that we see a lot with the Celtics. They obviously got two you know, ISO-heavy star players. If there's a switch, if Kevin Love gets matched up with Tatum or Brown, he was getting cooked. That's why he kind of started getting some DMPs towards the end of that series. But obviously the Denver Nuggets, outside of Jamal Murray, they're not really an isolation team. They're a team that likes to move up the ball a lot. And obviously between Gordon and uh, even Michael Porter's big and Jokic, you got a lot of size. So for that reason alone, I think Kevin Love will play. And I think he'll be impactful because when he started playing every night, his age was catching up to him too. But now he's had over a week rest. I think his body will be fresh. I think his, uh, his championship pedigree and his IQ will help a lot when defending a, a team that has a very high offensive IQ in the Nuggets. And I think he'll see a lot of minutes. And I do think Ke- uh, Cody Zeller will finally get some run again just to try to match up with that size. And if anything, Cody Zeller has six fouls. 
So he might just play just because he has that. <laughs> right. There's that part. Anthony DiNardo is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. We'll get you out with this. As far as the experience, you talked about Coach Spo a little while ago. He's got the experience. Obviously, the front office has the experience. have been there, done that as far as, you know, the finals go. Denver has not. This is their first finals they've ever been in. How much do you think that that may help the Heat in these finals, kind of preparing and matching up with Denver? Yeah, that's a as a Heat fan that's trying to use some sort of logic to feel good about the series because I do have Heat at six. Okay, ninety nine percent of that is because I just have fun screaming about guts and Heat culture. But from an actual like you know tangible standpoint, they have more experience. I think that makes a big di- a big difference. We talked about Eric Spolstra. I believe the only Nugget uh, with final experience is Kentavious Caldwell Pope, who killed Miami in twenty twenty. So I have not forgotten that. But I mean, the Heat are uh, got a ton of chemistry. Lowry and Love and even Udonis Haslam, who we talked about earlier, too. And then they've all been to the finals before. Even Gabe Vincent was on that bubble team. People seem to forget that. So I think it goes a long way, and that's a lot of pressure on the Nuggets. Even though they've been in long, you know, conference finals runs in the past and stuff, that is their first finals appearance as a franchise. Right. I think that adds some pressure to the team, and I'm very curious to see how they live up to that. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to see the series and how it all shakes out. I love what Miami's done. I've doubted them a lot of the way. I'm not going to lie to you. And they've proven me wrong multiple times, and that's okay. right? And So now we have Miami and Denver, and we'll see how it all shakes out. Anthony, fantastic stuff, man. What are you working on, Believe in Miami Heat podcast? What should we be on the lookout for? Yeah, I'm doing the Believe in Miami Heat podcast. That's uh, kind of where you can find me. I'm talking Heat Weekly over there. Uh, I'm also on the Basement Sports Network. That's the Basement. Uh, we do post-game live streams on there. Uh, and my personal YouTube channel, I do all kinds of content. That's just Anthony DiNardo. And also, I'm looking forward to the Florida Panthers winning in four. I just had to throw that Ooh, out. Oh, hey, firing shots it. at us. You Talking you a little think too think spicy. Firing shots at us. You know we're a little sensitive about Vegas Golden Knights out here. <laughs> yeah, man, I had to get it in. Hey, both teams are playing well. Yep. Obviously, I was glad y'all series got extended a little bit because the Panthers are rested, but that is going to be a fun series for the ages. Yes, it will. It will. We're looking forward to it, my man. We're going to definitely have to get you back on the show. We'll talk some more NBA Finals. We'll talk a little VGK in Florida as well. Anthony, great stuff, man. We appreciate you. We'll talk soon. Yes, sir. I appreciate y'all, too. All right, there he goes, Anthony DiNardo. I like that. Believe in the Miami Heat podcast. He said, I'm going to get one in before I get up out of here. That was cool. I ain't mad at him. That's the way to do it right there. Get one in and then get up out of there. That's how he did it. So uh, there you go, little Miami Heat. Look, if you're a Heat fan and you're a Florida Panther, like our good friend Lee Sterling from ParamountSports.com, I talk to him every single morning, man. He is tickled pink, man. He's so excited. He's so fired up. This dude's got his favorite basketball team. He's a season ticket holder to the Heat. They're in the finals. He's a season ticket holder to the Florida Panthers. They're in the finals. He is fired up. So I can imagine all the fan base of Miami, the true fans there, because, you know, there's a lot of the South Beach fans that are just South Beach fans, and it's more like just show up to show who you are. But for all those real deal fans there, those season ticket holders, the ones that love their heat, love their Panthers, I know they're as excited as we are about the Golden Knights, as we are about the Aces, as we are about the Raiders, all that good stuff. They're fired up. As well. 417 is the time. We'll get back to your calls and text. Plus, we got some sound from Max Crosby from last week. We'll get to that coming up in about 15 minutes from now. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. It's Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. In about 10 minutes, we'll hear from Max Crosby. He was part of OTAs that we were allowed to be at last week. Didn't get a chance to. Get caught up, uh, get caught up with them. 
or I wasn't able to get caught up with them as I had to leave to do the show. But uh, And we're supposed to be out there tomorrow. Still haven't confirmed what time, but supposed to be out there tomorrow. So I wanted to make sure we got that Max Crosby sound in before tomorrow and before it's really outdated. It's always good to hear from Mad Max Crosby. That'll come up in about 10 minutes. But we've been talking about uh, you know players that you were excited about players that were, were Raiders or maybe even another team that you got super fired up about and you knew that it was going to be the end-all, be-all for that team. They were going to get it done, the steal the deal, and it just didn't work out that way. I'll tell you one team in particular that I got pretty fired up about. It wasn't the Raiders, and, and it wasn't like the player was a disappointment. It's just the team didn't live up to the expectations, and that was when the Lakers put together that dream team team. I was excited excited because Gary Payton was on the squad, and I'm a big Gary Payton fan. Like, G- GP is my guy, as DeMond very well knows when he was part of the show here on Raider Nation Radio 920. DeMond couldn't get one question in because I was having such a good time talking to Gary Payton. So I was excited for him because he had the opportunity, I thought, to go win a ring with Kobe and Shaq and the mailman. I was like, man, this is going to be a fantastic team. And we all know that the Pistons without an all-star, or not an all-star, excuse me, a Hall of Famer, uh, beat them in the finals, the Larry Brown uh, coach teams. But I was excited about that because I just knew Gary was going to get that opportunity to get the ring. He eventually did get a ring in Miami, but obviously had a much lesser role uh, there with the, the Miami Heat. But it did have a couple big shots at the end to go win that ring with Shaq and D. Wade. Uh, another guy that I was excited about uh, that actually that, got, that won a ring as well was Jason Kidd when he was with the Mavericks in that 2011 team that beat the Heat. Uh, as you could tell, I root for guys that are from the Bay Area. <laughs> I root for guys that are from Oakland. So Jason Kidd, I was excited to see him win a ring in uh, in Dallas because all the times that he was there uh, with the Nets, he always ran up against the Lakers. And, well, the Lakers were beating the brakes off everybody, so Jay Kidd couldn't win a ring there, but he did get one in Dallas. So that was pretty pretty exciting from a basketball point of view. Uh, that was Those were a couple guys that were on certain teams that I was pretty excited about. Gary obviously didn't get it done in L.A. Jason did get it done with the Dallas Mavericks, even though nobody thought, including myself, that they were really going to get it done against that that team in Miami, but they found a way to get it done. But going to the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword R&R, got a bunch of texts to get to real quick. Sir Whiskey Ray is thinking outside of the, the Raiders bubble and said, my guy Irvin Magic Johnson as head coach was just awful. Excited at first, but ended disastrous. That's on the real. That's Sir Whiskey Ray. And I remember that. I remember that one in particular, man, when – Magic took over as the head coach of the, the Lakers. Everything was supposed to be an end-all, be-all, right? The Magic man, he's going to be the coach. He's going to be this guy. He's going to lead him to the promised land. And uh, it just didn't work out that well. Magic learned quick, fast, and in a hurry how difficult it is to be a head coach. So that's a, that's a really good one, Sir Whiskey Ray. Thanks so much. I definitely appreciate that. Got a text from the 209. What up, Q? Just joined but heard your question. My guy is Chandler Jones. After last season, I would have rather kept Unique and Gakwe. Him and Crosby had something brewing, and now it's just – it's just uh, what could have been. That's from the 209. And, yeah, I think Chandler Jones was a disappointment, obviously, for Raider Nation last season. Uh, I was excited when they went and got him. Uh, I knew that Ngakwe, the, the knock on him was the, the he didn't stop the run very well. And Chandler Jones isn't great against the run either. But you just knew that what Chandler Jones brought to the table, he was going to help. I thought he was going to help develop Max Crosby uh, more than he did. But And they said that he did some great things in the locker room. I get that. But the production just wasn't there. So uh, Chandler Jones was a disappointment. I'm hoping that him coming off this, uh, this injury now, because he, st- he started to end the season pretty strong. 
right? He looked like he was uh, a really good player at the end of the season, and then that uh, that, that Christmas Eve game in, in Pittsburgh, he got injured and never returned for the rest of the season. So I'm hoping he's able to get to training camp uh, and, and really get through training camp and be fully healthy, and uh, the addition of Tyree Wilson is going to help him out as well, maybe have him take a, less, a few less snaps and still be able to produce. Hopefully he's able to have a better season than he did last year. We'll see. But we, we also know that Chandler Jones is getting a little older in the tooth. And when it comes to Unique Ngakwe, I'm still surprised he's not signed. I mean, the guy still is out there as a free agent. And you know he's going to get you eight sacks a game. Like that's what you, Or not a game, sorry. That would be incredible. Eight sacks a season. You know that that's what he's going to get. There's no doubt. Like no doubt he'll get eight and then everything else is gravy. But I'm surprised that he hasn't, he hasn't, uh, he hasn't got signed yet. Uh, I got a couple more texts to get to. Uh, this one's from the 707. After he had an incredible first game, I thought Todd Marinovich was going to be the savior, but off-field issues derailed his career But ever, before it ever got started. What a shame. That's the second time I think Todd Marinovich's name has come up in like two weeks here on, on Unnecessary Roughness. I think we keep bringing his, his name up for some reason somehow. Somehow the conversation always ends up with Todd Marinovich. But, yeah, uh, you're spot on about that. Thank you so much for that text. I do appreciate you. Um, Got a text from 805 Raider talking about Richard Seymour. He said Richard Seymour was okay, but not worth trading a number one pick to the Patriots. Uh, and you're right about that. The number one overall pick or the number one pick, the first rounder, that was a lot to give up for Richard Seymour, especially for a guy that you figured the Patriots were going to move on from uh, probably a year before he was ready to be moved on from instead of a year too late because that's kind of what they did. And when you say the, first, uh, the number one pick or the, the first round pick wasn't worth it, I automatically, and I start getting angry even thinking about it. I automatically thinking about trading that number or that that first round pick for Carson Palmer. Man, that makes me mad. That still runs me hot, right? That dude was sitting on his couch, Demond, sitting on his couch doing nothing. They already had Andy Dalton in the mix. Carson Palmer was basically retired without officially saying he's retired. Jason Campbell goes down, and Hugh Jackson, I liked a lot of things Hugh Jackson did, but I didn't like this. Hugh Jackson makes the move and gives up a first-round pick for Carson Palmer. And Carson Palmer ended up being a good quarterback in Arizona, don't get me wrong, but he sure wasn't a good quarterback with the Raiders and sure was not worth that first-round pick. That that ran me so hot when they did that. I remember the day it happened. I was in Central Texas. I was working at the hip-hop station still, and they made that move. And I remember uh, one of my coworkers was like, man, Carson Palmer, y'all got Carson Palmer. Man, you about to take that next step. And I was like, really? You think so? What has he done this year? He's like, well, he's, he, he's, he hasn't been playing. I said, exactly. What makes you think he's all of a sudden going to step his game up, step in uh, off, the, off the street, basically, and tear up the league? Oh, man, Carson Palmer's great. And I was like, yeah, I believe that when I see it. It's one of those things, like I, I talk about the Lions, I believe it when I see it. I'm not I'm – not, I'm not being first to the party. I'm, I'd rather be late to the party. That's how I was with Carson Palmer. I was like, yeah, I believe it when I see it. I'd rather be late to the party than first to that party. And, well, for me, that party never happened when it came to Carson Palmer. That really made me mad. But I never thought, I never believed he was going to be the end-all, be-all. I thought that that was such a waste, giving up that first-round pick. Jason Campbell, I was man, I was upset when he got injured. I thought that that team, that, that you want to talk about big disappointment. That team was winning, Devon, really despite – who they had on their roster. And I'm not trying to make it sound like these guys aren't talented, but, I mean, you could just tell that he was just finding ways. Hugh Jackson was finding ways to get guys like Denarius Moore. And who else did they have on the team? Like Jacoby Ford, and I can't even remember who else was on the team. Darren McFadden was on that squad. Jason Campbell. I mean, guys like that, he was finding ways to get the most out of them. Like finding that, that, that thing that they do best. 
And a lot of it came from just asking them what they do best. I remember him specifically saying that he went to Darren McFadden and said, what do you like to run? What plays do you like to run? Okay, we're going to incorporate that. And McFadden had a really good season. And, man, when Campbell went down, I was like, oh, man, there it goes. And I think, what, Kyle Bowler came in, and that was womp womp. And then, of course, Carson Palmer, and I don't even want to keep talking about that. Well, I was going to say it was man. a miracle this team got to 8-8. Eight and eight. They were 7-4 and four before the collapse happened. Yep. But Darius Hayward Bay led that team in receptions. Right. Followed by Michael Bush. Right. That's Woo. what I'm saying. Like, it's no, like, that ain't, Jack- that's an impressive ain't Nate. Hugh Jackson got the most out of these guys, right? I mean, I thought I, at that time, I thought Denarius Moore was one of the best wide receivers in the league. I really did. I was like, oh, man, that dude's awesome. He was getting the ball on end of rounds. He was getting the ball on jet sweeps. Any way they can get the ball in his hands, they'd get it to him, and, and he would do so. Shout out to East Texas. He would do something with that ball in his hands. Denarius Moore, was one of, he was one of my favorite favorite players at that time just because, again, I didn't – I never knew what he was going to do. I never expected it to be great, but it always was, like, awesome. He always did. It, it seemed like he was always making plays. I was, man, I was a big fan of Denarius Moore. And then, I mean, you see these guys, once they left the Raiders, they really didn't do anything. So I, I had to give Hugh Jackson a ton of credit for being able to get the most out of those guys. But, man, that Carson Palmer trade, that was, that was the end of it. Who else was on that squad while you're looking at him? All right, so you had uh, Kevin Boss. Am I reading that right? Oh, yeah, yeah, Kevin Boss, the, uh, the tight end. Marcel Reese, shout out to Marcel. Yep. He was on that team. Yep. Jacoby Ford, I don't yep. know if you already said him. I did. TJ Hoosman's out of for a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember him. Yeah, that's right. He was he he didn't do a whole lot. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of stats to talk yeah, about. No, with Brandon Myers. Yeah, it, it's a very yeah, like I Brandon said. Myers, the tight end. You were about to say Brandon Myers. That's right. Cousin yeah. Brandon. I used to call him Cousin oh, Brandon. Why did, why was he cousin Brandon? Because his last name is Myers. Oh, okay. Duh. With only one e, oh, ah, yeah, yeah. Look, it's a, we're in a we're go. in a rare we're in rare air there, brother. Only one e, but the defense too. This was the that when it comes to the points they gave up, this team was 29th in the league, and this defense was led by Richard Seymour. Yep. Tommy Kelly led the team in sacks. Yep. Uh, Rolando McLean. Yep. But they did have 18 interceptions. See. There you go. So it's possible. <laughs> yeah. It's possible to pick the ball off. Really? Who led the team in interceptions that year? 18 interceptions, huh? Uh, Matt Giardaro. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Five yeah, interceptions. Yeah. yeah, okay. Stanford route with four. There you go, Stanford. Shout out to Stanford. He got he got <laughs> some hate earlier in the show. Shout out to Stanford route. Man, we're taking it back. This Man, let's go. Who else we got? Uh, Michael Huff had two. Go ahead, Huffy. And then it's about six guys with about one. Yeah, know, that's a, fine. A lot of guys. Yeah, a lot of I'll guys. Take that. I'll take that production. I'll take that production. Man, those that squad right there is looking at the, the the last few Raider teams like, man, y'all can't turn over, create no turnovers. We had all the turnovers. So there you go. They were making some plays. I'm all right with that. 18 interception. I would take that. That just shows you that it's possible, right? What Eric Allen says all the time: Hey, our goal was 20. It's possible. They had 18, and they didn't really have the most talented squad, as you can tell. They just had guys that found a way to make plays. I like that. I, I like that. Allowed 27 points, but, like, those 18 interceptions, they probably were timely. Oh, yeah, of course. That's what I'll say. Yeah, they, they gave up a lot of points, but they came up with big plays and got the ball back for the offense. Jim from Yonkers said they had Chaz Shillings. Remember Chaz Shillings? Wow. He was a seventh-round pick. Uh, he said Hugh, Hugh Jackson was God, 4-2 four and, four and two when J.C. went down. Uh, he said thank you. Yeah, I remember that, man. That was I just knew that that team was going to be something. That team was going to be a really good team just because, again, I don't know how they were getting the production that they were 
out of those cats, like I said, Chaz, Chad, Chaz Schillings, seventh round pick. I think he wore eighty one too, didn't he? Didn't he wear? Uh, he wore Tim Brown's number. I think he did. Not one hundred percent sure. He man. sure did. There you go. Boom. It's all starting to come back to me, man. It's starting to come back to me. Uh, let's see. What else do we get? <laughs> Sir Whiskey Ray hit us up with another couple players. Javon Walker and Larry Brown. I'm officially throwing. Th- I'm officially throwing up now. That's from Sir Whiskey Ray. Javon Walker. Uh, man, remember the. Whew, remember the the story of Javon Walker, how his career ended. He signed a free agent deal with the Raiders. He tried to give that deal back. They said no. He stuck with the team. He came to Vegas, got the brakes beat out of him, got robbed, and it was never the same. You don't remember that story? You probably too young, Demond. But yeah, no, yeah, J- not not at all. Javon no. wow, Walker that was, was a lot of turns there. Yeah, Javon Walker was not a friend of Vegas for very long. He came to to Vegas and all. I think it was. I want to say maybe he was at a bachelor party or something, but. Yeah, he got the brakes beat off him. I think they left him on the street or something. It was it was bad news, man. It was really bad news, and he was never the same. And I think he played for the Raiders for a quick second, and it was it was a done deal after that. So yeah, that was that was a bad one. Larry Brown, I mentioned him earlier, uh, former MVP of the Super Bowl after getting the ball basically thrown right to him like he was playing catch. Got two interceptions, and then the Raiders signed him as the MVP, and he was going to all of a sudden be the shutdown corner. He was not. He was terrible. Those are two MVPs. I want to say back-to-back years. Larry Brown and Desmond uh, Desmond Howard that both signed with the Raiders that ended up not being worth a salt with the team. Those were two. Desmond Howard really made me mad because I was I really liked the fact that what he was able to do. He was never a great wide receiver in the NFL like he was in Michigan, but man, he was such a great return man, especially at Green Bay. He was a killer there, and man, he wasn't worth a salt with the Raiders. I remember every time they kicked the ball off to him, I thought he was taking it to the house. Yeah, that wasn't happening. <laughs> Right, I couldn't tell you. I mean, you could. I know you could pull it up quicker than I can. I can't tell you how many uh, kick returns Desmond Howard had and and what he averaged. But I'll tell you what, it wasn't nothing like it was when he was in Green Bay, and I was so disappointed. I was like, man, this dude's got to take one to the house every single time he went back to receive a kick. I thought, all right, this is the one. He's gonna take it back. No, nope. he stopped at the twenty. He's starting late. If he broke out past the twenty a little bit, I was like, oh, here it comes. Nope, not didn't. Got all excited, got all hyped up for nothing. Desmond Howard is not a jersey you'll see in uh, in Allegiant Stadium at all. He did return two punts for touchdowns while he was in a Raider uniform. What year was that? 1998. Okay, there you go. And that was his last year with the team. How long? How many? How many years was he with them? Uh, two, and it looks like they traded him mid season in '99. Good, good riddance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was that was a disaster. That's not anything that Raider fans will ever brag about. Hey, remember Desmond Howard as a Raider? Yeah. But like you said, a contract year, that last year in Green Bay, yep. led the league in punt return touchdowns and total punt return yards. Yeah, and, he he had a hell of a, and he had a hell of a run in the playoffs in the Super Bowl as well. He was he was that guy. That's why that's why the Raiders signed him. He was he was gonna be the game changer. And well, he was not a game changer at all. Matter of fact, it seems like the game changed once the Raiders got him. So there you go. A little blast from the past right there. Uh, got some more text messages to get to. We'll take a quick break. 4.36 is the time. We'll come back, get to those texts, and get to some Max Crosby sound. This is Rainish Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Nice little JT money coming back as we get ready to close out the show. 4.40 is the time. Got an email from the Raiders. Coach Josh McDaniels will talk at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center tomorrow at 930. That means you can hear that live on the morning tailgate with Clay and Vinny and Lindsay. 930 a.m. Head Coach Josh McDaniels 
Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. Practice will be open from 10.15 to 12.15, and then players will speak around 1 o'clock. So you can hear those a few of those players. Don't know who they'll be. Uh, Paul Gutierrez earlier today uh, let us know that he requested Hunter Renfro. We'll see if he is one of them that is there. We'll see if Jimmy G talks. That'll be interesting to see if Jimmy G talks and gets, you know, kind of lets everyone know, give us an update on where he is as far as health. He could be a guy that could really shut down all the conversation. He can come out and say, hey, I'm, you know, I got the surgery, feeling good, rehab's going great, I'm a couple weeks out, be good to go for training camp. Could say that. Might not. Might not become available. But I think it's something that uh, would be very smart if, if that, in fact, is where he's at. So we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, at the Intermount Healthcare Performance Center, who is made available. So, Damon, I'll just go ahead and give you a little um, producing on the air type thing. I'll probably be doing the show from from the home studio again tomorrow. Just just a heads up because, well, you know, the, the, with the media availability not being until 1 o'clock, the chances of me getting back to the radio station by 2 is not very good. So, just, yeah, I'm thinking about your chances of even getting there to ask a question. Right, exactly, especially because you don't know – don't know exactly, uh, you know, who's going to come out and at what time they're going to come out. So that's something for tomorrow. But at least we did get the email, so we're good to go. 9.30 a.m., we do know we'll hear from head coach Josh McDaniels, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of questions about Jimmy G thrown his way. I uh, got a couple of texts I want to get to, and then I got a couple sound bites I wanted to get to from Mad Max Crosby. Vegas Pete said uh, he was talking about Matt Flynn. He said, how about Matt Flynn? He stole money from us and Seattle, but stunk up the joint. Man, I'll tell you, I'm glad you brought up Matt Flynn. And I, brought, I mentioned him earlier today, too, uh, when Shields Up called. He's a big LSU guy. And I, I said then, I said, you knew Matt Flynn was no good when he was at LSU. Uh, even though I believe he won, what, didn't he win a national championship at LSU? I want to say that he did, and, and he just wasn't that great. But my buddy Craig Smoke, who I used to work with, man, he's a big Matt Flynn guy. Matt Flynn's actually a friend of the Smoke family. They're all from uh, East Texas, and, man, he knew him so well, and he was so excited when he signed with the Raiders, even though he knew that Matt Flynn wasn't any good, and he got me that shirt. He created a shirt that said, Just Flynn, baby, and I told him, You wasted your money, brother. It was a dry-fit Nike and everything, and I was not wearing that. You know, DeMond, I wear nothing but dry-fit Nike. I wasn't wearing that one because I knew that that was a joke. So, yeah, Vegas Pete, you're spot on when it comes to, uh, when it comes to Matt Flynn. Big Dub Raider said, Q, don't forget the Raiders signed the Bucks corner that won Super Bowl MVP versus us in 03. Shaking my head, go Raiders. I don't remember who that was. I don't remember that signing. Who was that? I'm trying to think. Who won the Super Bowl MVP? I, I don't know why in my mind I thought that was like Derek Brooks who won that, but it, it wasn't. It, I know it wasn't Derek Brooks, but in my mind, that's who I think of. Then again, in that Super Bowl, everyone got an interception in that game, right? <laughs> it didn't matter who you were uh, as, a, as a Buccaneer. You were getting an interception in that game as Rich Cannon threw five of them. Dexter Jackson. They signed Dexter Jackson? How come I don't remember that signing? Why do I not remember that sign in the Dexter Jackson? Where was I? What what rock was I under that I don't remember? Maybe I was just in denial of that that uh that I don't remember them signing Dexter. No, Jackson. I'm looking at his Pro Football Reference here. No, no Raiders. I didn't think so. Okay, I'm not crazy. All right, yeah, I don't. I'm not too sure, Big Dub Raider, who you're talking about. I don't. I don't. They didn't sign Dexter Jackson, so I'm not too sure uh, who you're talking about. I remember them signing Warren Sapp. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Please believe. I remember that. I remember everybody excited about that. Go get that 99 jersey. And he was okay. He was all right. I remember specifically being at a game, though. And who were they playing? I was there with my, my buddy. Uh, who was it? Dorsey. 
His, his, I don't remember what his first name was, but his last name was Dorsey, but he was a record rep. And we had gone out to the game. I was working at Monterey at the time. And he's like, hey, Q, I got season tickets, man. Meet me at the game. I was like, all right. So I drove up from Monterey, met him at the Coliseum, man. We went into the game. We're kicking it. And the Raiders were winning that game. He was a big-time Raider fan, too. They were winning that game. And whatever team it was that the Raiders were playing, they were backed up deep in their own territory. And, man, Warren Sapp came off that line and got right to the quarterback, DeMond. I mean, like, right to the quarterback. He, he got to that Arden Key area where he was about to get that sack, and it just didn't happen. I mean, it was almost like one of those you could reach out and just grab the quarterback at the time. He just missed the, uh, the sack of that quarterback. And then that quarterback rolled out just a little bit further and threw a pass. And I don't know if it went for a touchdown, but it was a big-time play. It, it might have been the Chargers. It might have been the Charger game, but it, it – it turned into a huge play. They end up scoring on, like, the next player or whatever. And, uh, yeah, the Raiders lost that game. So, there you go. <laughs> there you go. But there it is. So, uh, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, Rich in Oakland said, this is off topic, Q. I just want to say thanks for all the hard work you put in for Raider Nation. We're blessed to have you. God bless. Rich, thank you so much. I do appreciate that. And, yeah, man, we're just trying to do what we do here on Raider Nation Radio 920 to keep the party rolling. And, uh, and Jim from Yonkers said Warren Sapp stole money too. Warren Sapp was not a good a good guy in public, right? When you saw Warren Sapp around the bay, he was not a cool dude. Like, you know, Raider Nation sees a, a, a player and they're like, hey, what's up, you know, go Raiders or whatever. Raiders start to chant. And I remember in San Francisco, man, we were at a, a, we were at a restaurant. We rolled into a restaurant after a music convention. And we walked in there, and we saw Warren Sapp, and someone looked over and was like, Raiders. And he was like, shut up, man. Don't you see I'm having dinner? And I was like, damn. <laughs> okay. He was, man. Though so, so we told another Raider fan, I didn't say nothing to him, but another Raider fan, we told him he hadn't got there yet. And I was like, hey, man, uh, you should go over there and ask Warren Sapp for his autograph, man. He's a, he's a really nice guy. Everyone, you know, he's been talking to everybody. He's like, for real? So he started to walk over there, and I didn't have the heart to. I was like, dude, I was just kidding. Like he's a he's a he's a big jerk, so don't do that. But he was so mad, and I don't know who he is with. So it might have been maybe he was trying to I don't know he was trying to impress whoever he was with. I don't know, but he he was not a very nice guy. So we're like eh, not going to talk. Yeah, to that he was dude. about to put Buddy on the front page. I know, man. I felt that's why I had to stop him. <laughs> I was always that guy that was notorious for setting you up for failure. Like I was that dude. I set up in that same music convention. I set up this dude. We were at the W Hotel. And he was like, man, Q, I want to make an impression. I want to make sure that everyone remembers me after this music conference. And I was like, yeah, man, that's a good idea. It'll take your career far, man. You, you have to leave a lasting impression. You have to make sure that when you leave, everyone's like, man, remember what Buddy did? So I told him, I said, we're, hey, we're out here by the pool, dude. I think you should just go jump in the pool, you know, and fully dressed and everything. He's like, for real? You think that'll do it? I was like, oh, I think everybody will remember that. You know, I think you should do it. I was like, man. But what, who cares? I'm going to be all soaking wet then. I said, who cares? It's all good. Don't worry about it. Everyone's going to remember you, man. It's going to take your career far. So I convinced them. And it might've, I might have helped, you know, I might have, you know, had a little bit of, uh, you know, vodka influence as well that might have helped him as well in this idea. But he sure did it, man. He ran and did a big old cannonball and jumped in full jeans and everything, nice collared shirt, everything. Wallets all floating in the water, phones all floating in the water. And we all just looked and was like, what a dumbass. <laughs> Like, and that was, including me. I was like, why would you do that? I was like the first one to say, why would you do that, dog? Why would you do that? What made you do that? That was dumb. You should have at least taken your wallet and your, your keys and your, and your phone out your pocket before you did that. But Q, I thought, man, Q, I didn't, hey, look, I didn't tell you to jump in there with your, your wallet and your phone and all that. I just told you to make an impression. You made an impression now. Now your wallet's all soaked. Your phone's all jacked. 
keys are all rusty. Like, it was all bad. You know how I know he didn't make a good impression? Huh? You called him Buddy. Right. Don't, don't even I, know his name. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't tell you his name to save my life, dude. I couldn't tell. I don't even know what market he worked in. Right? I don't have – honestly – I didn't really know who he was when I was talking to him. I just knew he was a guy that there was there at the music convention, and we were having a good old time. That's all I really remember about that guy. He wasn't the smartest guy. He wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. He's probably listening right now. He's like, Q, I'm angry at you. <laughs> He's probably still mad at me for that. Oh, well, we had good times. What are you going to do? Right? You had a good time. Oh, uh, yeah, I think, I think we all had good times. He just didn't have good times at the end of the day, but I, he had a good time leading up to that moment. <laughs> Uh, Jeff Yonkers said, did you indeed pass your physicals? LOL, thank you, and a great idea today. That's funny. Yeah, I, I passed mine. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm clean bill of health over here. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I uh, got a text from the 626Q. He's talking about Larry Brown, the Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, I remember that one. We talked about Larry Brown. That's a good one. And then Big Dub Raiders said, my bad, guys. I don't know why I thought we signed Dexter Jackson. Go Raiders. There you go. All right, so I was confused, but we got it all cleared up, so – uh, Big Dub, thank you for that. We do appreciate you. I know we only got a couple minutes. I did want to get a couple quick sound bites in from Max Crosby uh, because he's going into you know another year. So he's obviously got his contract extension last year. Uh, put up a hell of a season, twelve and a half sacks. I expect him to be you know even better and even better off the field as far as a leader for this team. I mean, really, this Raiders team. It, the leaders are Max Crosby on defense and, and Devontae Adams on offense. That's, and, and Josh Jacobs, obviously, but he doesn't have a contract right now. So until he gets that contract, it's really Max Crosby and Devontae Adams. So here's Max just talking about being the leader of that Raiders defense. Um, yeah, you know, I think a big part of, you know, what we're doing right now is just becoming closer as a unit, you know, especially D-line, uh, D-line-wise. Uh, we're meeting together. We're doing everything together. We're going out and having dinners together. Um, we, you know, a couple guys went to power slap last night, uh, together, but just getting out of the building and spending more time and, you know, building those relationships because that's the stuff that people don't really notice, you know, on the field. Like you, you watch the chiefs, everyone knows Kelsey and Mahomes are on the same page. You know, you watch the bills, you know, Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. There's a reason, you know, they're on the same page is because they're doing, you know, more than just playing football together. They're doing things off the field together as well. So that's kind of been my main focus, you know, as a leader, um, taking that next step and just trying to bring the guys together, um, you know, not only with the D-line, but as a defense as a whole and, you know, just as a team as a whole, holding everybody to that standard. Max Crosby right there being on the leader of the defense, and he is, as I mentioned, leader of the defense, and it's important to not only have that chemistry on the field but have that chemistry off the field. Be a tight a tight unit, right? Be be guys that can hold each other accountable because again, you're you you have you know you're personal with each other, and you know what the other one could do. You know what they're all about, and they know what you're all about. That's really really important. And Max continues to grind. I mean, there's never a time that anyone ever comes on the show or comes on the radio and starts talking about, oh, Max Crosby didn't give Max effort. Like that dude always is giving Max effort, and then some each and every time he's out there on the field and including in practice. He's the first one running to each and every drill. We'll see him tomorrow. He'll be the first one there running to drills. He'll be leading it. He'll, you know, there's uh, the other day last week, it was so funny being out there. He ran to a drill, and then he ran to the ball and, and kicked the ball real quick. Like he, was, he just had to touch the ball. And then he ran to another drill, and he had to touch the ball. And I just started fixating on Max Crosby, and every time he ran to another drill, what he was doing, he was always kicking the ball, not far, but he was kicking it just to be like, hey, I'm the first one to the ball. That's just, that's just part of Max Crosby being him and here he talks about on being the best he could possibly be you know I love it 
in every single way. You know, at the end of the day, um, I do this year round. I put in everything into my craft, um, not only on the field, but off the field. And uh, I want to be the best person I could possibly be, the best leader I could be, the best athlete, the best football player I could possibly be. And that comes with more pressure. The more success you get, that's just inevitable. So um, for me, I've always wanted to be in this position. Uh, even though it is hard, you know, you're going to get more critics, you're going to get more attention, but that's a good thing at the end of the day. You know, if you're not, if nobody's talking about you, nobody expects big things from you, um, you know, you're probably doing something wrong. But I do everything I can to put myself in the best position to help this team be the best leader I can be and be the best player down to down um, in the National Football League. So that's my goal every day is be the best. Um, and I try to, you know, show my teammates what that looks like every single day. So, you know, even when the rookies came in, I told them, follow me. Every single day. If you want to continue building your career, follow me. I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to do it every single day. Um, and that's what's really about just putting your head down and, you know, all the, all the extra shit, like that's just a part of the game. You know, it's going to come with it. You know, people are going to either like you or they don't. They're going to say this, say that. But at the end of the day, if you're putting the body work every single day, um, over time, people are all going to recognize that. So that's just what I stick to. And hopefully all those rookies that he said, follow me and I'll teach you how to do it the right way. Hopefully they did that. Right, We know Tyree Wilson, he's not out there participating, but he's in the classroom. And uh, Max talked about Tyree. We'll get to that uh, later. We don't have time to get to, to that right now. But I'll just say, man, hopefully those guys follow the leadership of Max Crosby, who we all remember was a fourth-round pick, right? He was not a guy that was number seven overall, not a top-ten pick, a guy that came out of college and everyone expected to be the end-all, be-all. He just had the willingness to work and work and work and end up being that guy. That's what the Raiders need more of. They need more of Max Max Crosby type dudes, guys that are willing to get there first and leave last, guys that are willing to put in the extra work and not just rely on raw talent, guys that are going to go the extra mile to get the most out of their ability. That's what the Raiders need more of. And so final soundbite that we have for you is just about being in the same system. The fact that Max Crosby now is with Patrick Graham for a second year, so you would expect a little bit better things from not only Max but Chandler Jones as well. But here's Max Crosby closing us out talking about being in the same system. Definitely. You know, uh, last OTAs, uh, it was a lot. You know, obviously Pat was new. You know, he's installing a bunch of new stuff, trying to get everything in before we get to camp. Um, and so everything was just like you're just learning and trying to just figure everything out on the fly. But now, you know, having another year, um, being able to help the guys that just got in, it's going to help them as well. Um, so, you know, things are going a lot smoother. You know, we're focusing on skill development right now, focus on getting better as football players, because at the end of the day, you call whatever you want. But if you know, you're not a good football player. It's not going to, it doesn't matter. So guys are really locked in right now. We're working um, and working on our crafts. And uh, it's been great to see, you know, everyone's dialed in. Um, we have, you know, dudes with great attitude and with a lot of talent and, and they're showing up every day. So it's been, it's been encouraging to see. There you go, Max Crosby talking about just, you know, being in the same system again for year two and what it's like. OTAs last year was tough to, to learn because they were learning a lot of different things. Now at least he's there and he's familiar with it. So as you can tell uh, from the sounds, that is going to do it for our show today. Tomorrow morning, 930, Joshua Daniels will talk to the media. You can hear that on the morning tailgate with Clay Baker, Vinny Bonsignor, Lindsey Brown. I'll be out at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. Uh, hopefully get a lot of good stuff to bring back to the show. JT will be doing his thing as well, and we'll bring it to you here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Everyone have a fantastic evening. We appreciate all the feedback. DeMond, great job today behind the wheels of steel. This is Raider Nation Radio 920.